Sunday of Advent, we're beginning the season of Advent, where the Christian church celebrates that in Jesus, God took on flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth. So in the Christian church, we celebrate what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 5, where he says, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as the children of God. So I'd like to um, begin this season of Advent at Cornerstone with a reflection. So, you know, bear with me a little bit here and just reflect on a couple questions. First one, can you imagine a God who has fun? Can you imagine a Jesus showing up at your Christmas um, party at school or at work? Can you imagine Jesus showing up at a Christmas party and being the life of the party? And then can you imagine the Holy Spirit showing up at your Christmas family dinner and telling the best jokes and the funniest stories? The question I ask, I guess, is, does your experience of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, does it include things like fun and play and laughter and joy? I ask because it seems like lots of us seem to have a grumpy God who frowns a lot, doesn't smile a lot. Maybe a workaholic Jesus who is disappointed in us constantly because of our failings and a Holy Spirit who judges a lot, but doesn't play a lot. Isn't it sad that to believe that our God is full of joy and laughter, and that he enjoys and delights in us, can be a kind of a foreign concept to us? Many of us, I think, have experienced, sadly, for whatever reason, we've experienced a God who is joy-challenged. And as a result, Christine Aroni Sign writes in her book, The Gift of Wonder, she says, as a result, we Christians, we suffer from play deprivation, nature deficit disorder, odd depletion, compassion fatigue, imagination suppression, and more. She goes on to say, as a result, I think we suffer from God deprivation too. But what if... What if God really does dance with shouts of joy? What if God laughs when we laugh? What if God can get into a giggle fit? What if God loves to play and enjoy parties and wants to invite us into the fun? What if one of God's great joys is giving his children great joy? Might laughter be a pathway to God? and not a distraction from God? And what if the joy of the Lord really is designed, the joy of the Lord in us is designed to give us strength? So in their book, Fruit, the Alabaster Publishing House writes, of all the fruit of the spirit Paul describes, joy is perhaps the most misunderstood. We confuse joy with general happiness, a frivolous or incongruous feeling. Through this lens, joy can seem insincere or indulgent. But this does not resemble a biblical understanding of joy. Biblical joy 
is born out of anticipation, expectation, or experience of something wonderful. It's a feeling of bliss or delight rooted in our relationship with God. In a world that is dominated by cynicism and outrage, joy is radical. Joy offers an alternative way to engage our lives, characterized not by despair or resignation, but by bursting with gratitude and hope. All of which is to say, what if instead of a joy-deficient God, we got a biblical understanding of joy and God? Now, we have to admit, we serve an intensely holy God. We serve a Jesus who, who is passionate about eradicating anything that gets in the way of our friendship with God, and we have the Holy Spirit within us who does convict us of sin. But none of those truths mandate that God cannot be a God of joy and laughter and delight. None of those mean that God can't create beauty and tell jokes and be the life of the party and a source of grace joy. So in Hebrew, there are 27 different words for joy. The scriptures reveal that not only is our God a God of hope and love and peace, but he is also a God of great joy. And there's even one of the words in the Old Testament in Hebrew for joy is, it says joy neighs like a horse. Joy isn't always this kind of quiet, stage, relaxed, kind of serious. Joy in the Old Testament, God's joy bursts forth. And there's dancing and there's shouting and there's rejoicing and noise. And one of the themes in the Gospels in the New Testament is that Jesus went to a lot of parties. Jesus went to a lot of parties. The first one we know about, he turned the water into the best wine that anybody had ever had. His antagonist criticized him for being a party animal because he went to so many parties. So this Advent... What we want to do together over these four, four weeks is do a deep dive into joy, into what the Bible teaches about God's joy and our joy. And I hope that we'll, hello, I hope that we will um, we'll not only learn about God and joy, I hope we will also learn something about how each of us individually experiences joy, what gets in the way of it, and what fosters it within our own hearts. So we're going to begin today with a review of what I call the biblical order of operations for joy, because I want you to get a biblical view of joy. First, the biblical order of operations for joy, then we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, 26 to 45, and then we're going to end with a practical idea or a suggestion for us to explore joy more fully this Advent, so that we, explore, we experience greater joy this Christmas. So first, the biblical order of operations for joy. So last Advent, I actually preached a sermon on joy. And in preparing that sermon last year, I hadn't realized before, I lined up as many scriptures as I could find about joy, and I started to categorize them. And I realized that the scriptures talked about joy in at least four ways. And then I just kind of reflected, I, I put scriptures under each of those categories, and I tried to figure out how do those relate to each other. Are we on? There we go. And so, um, so the first way the scriptures talk about joy is what I've called transcendent joy. That's joy that doesn't come from inside of us. That's joy that comes from outside of us. So we can't make transcendent joy happen. That has to come from somewhere outside towards us. 
And so the scriptures talk about God being the source of transcendent joy. Psalm 1611, you made known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. So the scriptures teach us that transcendent joy, the source is God. God is the fountain of joy. God is the, the one who creates and gives to his creation great joy. And there are scriptures that are on the, the, um, the screen behind me. Scriptures reveal a God who loves to laugh and give us great joy. That's transcendent joy. Second way the Bible talks about joy is what I've called imminent joy. So there's transcendent joy that's from the outside in, but there's imminent joy that is from the inside out. Imminent joy is, is the, also called the fruit of the Holy Spirit, okay? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. So as a fruit of the Spirit, imminent joy is joy that we nurture. In response to transcendent joy, we develop spiritual practices to attend to God and his creation, to people and to love, and becoming who God has made us to be. When we attend to those intentional spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices, a joy rises up from within us that the scriptures call the fruit of joy. And there are so many spiritual practices that nourish the fruit of joy. Sometimes you wouldn't expect it, but spiritual disciplines of doing justice have this incredible impact on us on creating joy from within us. Spiritual practices of meditation, spiritual practices of, of just marveling at God's creation, spiritual practices of attending to love, all of those nourish the fruit of joy within us. So there's transcendent joy, there's imminent joy. Third way the scriptures talk about joy is the scriptures talk about fullness of joy. I've relabeled fullness of joy, resilient joy. So fullness of joy or resilient joy is not defeated by hardships and troubles and struggles and persecution and pandemics and loneliness and uncertainty and brokenness. All right, fullness of joy or resilient joy is proved in all of those situations, not defeated in those situations. So resilient joy is proved when life sucks. That's it, okay? John 15, verse 11, Jesus talks about abiding with him and he says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy will be complete. And then throughout the epistles, we keep on coming across these testimonies. So Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he says, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So it's resilient joy that enables us to live lives of quietness and calm and peace and faith instead of lives of franticness and turmoil and anxiety and fear. That is um, fullness of joy or resilient joy. And then the fourth way, and I didn't really um, figure this out as much last year, but as I was looking at it again this year, the fourth way the Bible talks about joy, it talks about sharing our joy. It talks about sharing our joy in community with one another and sharing our joy in the world. And there are all kinds of scriptures where Paul says, are you not my joy? And we realize that the sharing of joy is a common way the scriptures talk about joy. All right, with these four ways of talking about joy, um, transcendent joy, imminent joy, um, resilient joy, and sharing joy, they're connected. And here's, if I wrote in an equation, it looks like this. So TJ plus IJ equals RJ and SJ. Transcendent joy from God responded to with the fruit, nurturing the fruit of joy in our souls, 
results in resilient joy, right? We can't get resilient, we can't drum just resilient joy up by ourselves. And if we don't respond to God's transcendent joy, we're not going to have, but resilient joy plus the fruit of joy nurturing that leads to resilient joy that sustains us when life sucks. And it affects us so much that it also leads to the sharing of our joy with others. So that's the biblical operations, order of operations for joy. Transcendent joy, we respond to it from God by our disciplines. And then we, we have a joy that sustains us that we can't help but share with the world. Okay, with all this in mind, setting up this series of joy on joy for Advent, let's look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 45. We read this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came, Gabriel, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb I missed a phrase. Baby in her womb leaped for joy. Is that what it says up there? Okay, I'm close enough. All right. Um, the baby within her womb leaped for joy, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So think of all the famous paintings that you've seen of the Annunciation, of Gabriel coming to visit Mary. 
Um, the one on the screen is by Leonardo da Vinci. I could have picked any of a bunch of them. Um, as you look at it, listen to this poem from Lucy Shaw. Lucy Shaw wrote, we have seen the studies, sepia strokes across yellowed parchment, the fine detail of hand and breast and the fall of cloth, Michelangelo, Caravaggio, Titian, El Greco, each complex Madonna positioned, sketched, enlarged, each likeness plotted at last on canvas, layered with pigment, like the final draft of a poem after 39 roughs. But Mary, virgin, had no sittings, no chance to pose her piety, no novitiate for body or for heart. The moment was upon her unaware, the angel in the room, the impossible demand, the response without reflection. Only one word of curiosity echoing Zacharias Howe, yet innocently voiced without request for proof. The teen head tilted in light, the hand trembling a little at the throat, the candid eyes wide with acquiescence to shame and glory. Be it to me as you have said. So our best guess, Mary, if she was normal age for being betrothed, was between 14 and 16 years old. So picture a 15-year-old you know, and that'll give you an idea of Mary's age when the angel Gabriel shows up and, and greets her, and she's troubled and tries to figure out what the heck is going on now. And Gabriel greets her and he says, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, surprising enough, an angel's showing up, right? And then to come up with that being the first thing, and then Gabriel responds to her perplexity, and says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. I can't help but wonder what kind of a 15-year-old soul would hear twice that she has found favor with God. And not just favor, but she is highly favored by God. By God. And then Gabriel tells her that she's going to become pregnant as a virgin. And she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. Just think of it, right? An unwed teenage mother, to say it is just mind-boggling. That doesn't even do it justice. It's absurd. It's bizarre. It's unheard of, unless you knew the prophecies of Isaiah. It would be social suicide. It would mean shame for Mary and for her family and for Joseph's family. It's an impossible request, except for the fact that nothing is impossible with God. And Mary doesn't get to pose herself. She doesn't say, well, Gabriel, that's an interesting proposition. Let me pray about it and check with my mentors and get back to you in about a week or two. She doesn't pause. She has a, a question, a curiosity question. How can this happen since I'm a virgin? And as mind-boggling as the announcement of Gabriel to Mary is, what Mary says in response is just as incredible when she says simply, may it be to me according to God's will. Let's pause with that. May it be with me, to me, according to God's will. And a 15-year-old girl is going to be the mother of God. Well, then next comes 
the very gracious visit of Mary with her aunt Elizabeth. Gabriel had told her that Mary was that Elizabeth was pregnant, so Mary went to the hill. We think that would have been about 80 to 100 miles a journey. Um, would have taken Mary three to four days. And when Mary shows up and calls out her greeting to her aunt Elizabeth, two things happened at once. First, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumped for joy. Now, my wife Marla says that, that in six weeks that, you know, that moms can start to feel the baby moving around. By six months, a mother is kind of familiar with the ways that their baby moves. This was something different, and Elizabeth knew it. Something, when, when, Mary's voice, when Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, something happened with the baby in her womb. And I, I kind of almost kind of, kind of have this sense that, that Elizabeth would have gone, <gasps> as the baby inside of her leaped for joy. And then the second thing that happened is that Mary, Elizabeth was filled by the Holy Spirit, and she says again to Mary, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she, blessed are you, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What kind of joy, what kind of joy would cause an unborn baby to leap for joy in its mother's womb? The baby was, was going to be John the Baptist, and John the Baptist was the one who was called in prophecy to prepare the way of the Lord. But in Luke chapter 1, and John the Baptist would, at one point, 30 years later, he would point to Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But it's in Luke chapter 1 that John gives his first testimony to the Messiah when he leaps for joy within his mother's womb. What kind of joy can cause that? Only transcendent joy. Only joy that comes from the fountain and the source of all joy in all of the universe. Only that transcendent joy could cause that to happen. Keep in mind, the world was not a safe place, all right? The world that Jesus was born into was very insecure. There was the political oppression of empire. There was extreme political polarization between the zealots and those who were collaborating with the Romans. Mary and Joseph were poor and from the country. They had little to no protection when they traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem and then as refugees to Egypt. Racism and slavery was just the way things were. Power-hungry kings could do whatever they wanted like kill all the babies in an entire region just because they said so. And the power differentials were extreme. Might made right. If you had power, you did whatever you wanted. Yet as we noted at the beginning, the Apostle Paul said, when the time had fully come, at just the right time, when the time had fully come, God sent his son and an unborn baby leapt for joy in its mother's womb. So I've been reflecting all this week and last week knowing this series was coming. And I've been reflecting on how, how can I access the transcendent joy of the coming of Jesus the Messiah? How can I and how can we respond to transcendent joy like this 
in ways that leads to imminent joy and spiritual practices and resilient joy and sharing our joy with our community and with our world. And I don't know whether it'll work for you or not, but here's what I've decided to do, and, and um, I'll suggest at least for you to consider it. I've decided to make an Advent journal for joy from now to Christmas. And as I kind of tried to figure out what it is, what, I'm, what will I do with this, I came up with four questions I'm going to try to ask and answer each day of Advent from now to Christmas. And they're up on the screen. You might want to take a picture. But the first one is, what joy did I notice this day of Advent? That one's pretty simple. What made me smile? What made me laugh, dance, rejoice in some way? Second question I'm going to answer, what do I think God enjoyed about me today? I stole that question from the book on the, the gift of wonder that I, I noted before. That one I've been practicing the last four days. This, this one's a little hard for me, but I think it's really, really important. What do I think God enjoyed about me today? Third question, what did I do to bring God joy today and what might I do tomorrow? And then the fourth question, what did I do to bring someone else joy today and what might I do tomorrow? Um, if you're a visual person, then, you know, get crayons or colored pencils and, you know, when you journal, just doodle some more. Um, I read one person that was, was their, their um, journal was, was pictures. So they just took pictures. So you might say, hey, I'm going to take pictures of joy every day this Advent. And so this week I messed around with um, a couple ways to organize it. At first what I did is I, I picked the day, like um, November 23rd, and I answered all four questions, and then the 24th I answered all four. And then as I thought about it, I thought, that's not going to be the way I want it structured. And so what I did is I went back, and I, I, at the beginning, I still write my journal by hand, however you do yours, and I wrote at the top question number one, what joy did I notice this day of Advent? And, now I've got, and then I kept like four pages so that I can fill out each day, November 27, 28, 29, through to Christmas. Then I did the second question, what do I think God enjoyed about me today? And I gave myself space to Christmas. And then the other two questions as well. And the reason I did that is because the last part of my plan for my journal is on Christmas morning. I'm committing to Jesus that I will read through each of those lists as a way of trying to figure out how do I access transcendent joy? How does it nurture inner joy? And how does it lead to resilient joy and to sharing my joy? So in conclusion, I don't know about you, but this year I, I'm just at this place where I want to focus on less. I want to focus on less so that what I do focus on has more of my heart and soul. I don't want to skim across the surface of joy this Advent. I'd rather focus on less and dive deeper into joy. And maybe it's because at this point, I don't know, maybe it's where we are. At this point, I don't feel a need for more breadth in my life. I feel a greater need for more depth in my life. If an Advent journal doesn't work for you, that's fine. But would you spend some time talking to Jesus about how you can access transcendent joy this Advent and this Christmas, maybe you'll have way better ideas. But if an, I wonder what would happen if even like 10 or 15% of us did that at Cornerstone, how that might shape us as we go into a new year together. And the point is this, this Advent, I choose joy. This Advent, will you choose joy as well? Because what if 
God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are way more filled with joy than we've yet imagined. What if God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are filled with laughter and humor? And what if they long for us to be filled with joy beyond our imagination? So, this Advent, will you choose joy? And so I think we pop it up on the screen, the I choose joy. What I'd like to do is, um, let's just pause and take a few deep breaths to, to kind of let your heart decide whether you will choose joy this Advent. And after those few deep breaths, if so, then we'll say that together three times. So why don't you close your eyes, just take a deep breath, Sense the presence of God with you right now. And another deep breath. And if you feel so led, would you say out loud with me that I choose joy, this Advent I choose joy? And we'll say it three times. So if you're so led, Say with me, this Advent, I choose joy. This Advent, I choose joy. This Advent, I choose joy. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus chose joy. And we're encouraged to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forgive us for how maybe we got this warped idea of you and joy. Forgive us for thinking that that you don't care about our joy or that you don't know how to laugh when you are the fountain and source of all great joy in the entire universe. Would you help us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, take a deep dive into joy this Advent as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.